when you listen to the show, if we are wrong or we don't know what we're talking about, that is perfectly fine. And you can correct us anywhere you want on Twitter, on Instagram, or on Facebook. You can find us at Not A Historian Podcast or at Not Historians. That's fine because we just jump on the internet, go to the library, talk to people, watch some interviews, and do the basic research we can just to show that two average Joes can do it. Exactly. We're not historians. So first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Well, maybe he walked around with jelly beans. That's what it is. Maybe he walked around with jelly beans so. I think he, and he was at the crime scene and stuff. He was like, yeah, see? Yeah, I got these jelly beans. See? Yeah. We're just two dudes that came up with an idea, and we said we should know more about the everyday world around us, like why your fear models the shape they are. In 1930, the Republican-controlled House of Representatives, in an effort to alleviate the effects of the, anyone, anyone, the Great Depression. You're ready to take notes, boys and girls. It's another episode of the Not Historians Podcast, with your hosts, Desmond Dunn and Shalom Agalaba. Wow, that was an excellent Excellent intro. I'm glad to finally hear it. What do you think? I'm glad we have a. I'm glad we have a theme now. I'm, you know, I'm glad we had uh, great support we've had with getting this uh, theme put up there. Big shout out and thanks to uh, Justin Stallings. We appreciate the, You're the man. Intro. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I wouldn't have made that. Uh, I wouldn't have been good enough to make that. That was skill. I hope Ben Stein or uh, Franklin Delano's ghost doesn't come sue us for copyright infringement. <laughs> but somebody that's more skilled about those things can. Uh, Send us a message to let us know if we're in trouble. Right. I don't want to have to go back and edit like 89 podcasts later on. And, I know, right? And take them out. Um, like cease and desist. <laughs> that's exactly what it'll be. Uh, no, I just wanted to jump in. Say we have a few housekeeping items. Just general shout outs. A uh, few updates. You know, corrections and stuff from other shows. And then that's it. One or two announcements. We'll be in the show really quick. So first off, a uh, big shout out to everyone that has been... Following us and tweeting us and retweeting us and liking us and everything else. So, uh, Nerdtastic 4, of course, the other show I'm on, they've been super supportive of letting me do this and helping me do this and just pumping up the show. It's great. Uh, so Wizard, Cold 45, not another nerdy podcast, fans on patrol, superhero speak, geek yogurt, dork of all trades, open all powers. That is the nerd podcast mafia for those that don't know. Uh, check them out. It's a really cool group and they've, uh, helped me support me in my podcasting life. And then there's other people that have helped us as well, Shalom, that have just come out of nowhere. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've got a, an outcry, or a, rather an outpouring of support. Podcast 1289, Unwise Guys, Wine and Crime, TX Files, Make Me a Fan, I Heart Geek. Just a few. Yeah, yeah. No, those guys have all been really good. They've all retweeted us. Some of them have offered to have us on the show or record something for the show or come on the show. And we are listening to you guys. Uh, we're making a list. I swear to God, I have a list. We're trying to find recording dates that work with our normal recordings and then being able to find a place to schedule you guys in. Also, uh, Geekin Amazons, you ladies have been supreme. So thank you. Uh, Mixter Hyde uh, does YouTube reviews. Or he does Reviews on YouTube of podcasts. Really cool dude. Reached out to us. Like the show. Hopefully, we'll get a review on there one day because I would love people to see from an actual reviewer that we're good, not just people tweeting. Right. Uh, not that we don't appreciate the retweets. Retweets, likes, reviews are our lifeblood. Please do Indeed. these things. Also, the Idiom Savant, which I love that title again. Okay. And uh, Things About Stuff, which they kind of do what we do, but not with so much a history focus. 
Uh, that's that's it for the shout outs. Uh, do you have any corrections? Well, so one correction we needed to make we needed to make public is that when we talk about the FBI, we're talking about we understand we're talking about pre uh, 1935. The FBI the FBI had uh, a couple of different names. It was the USBI, the BOL. Uh, the BOI. It was the Bureau of, it was just the Bureau of Investigations. And then it was like the U.S. Bureau of Investigations and like part of the Treasury Department, I think. And ended up coming together, uh, after Frank Nash and stuff. He was the reason they got guns, but he wasn't the reason for the FBI. Yeah. They, they kind of came together and we may do a show on all this, but we are aware that there was no FBI. But when we say the FBI, we're saying it like the FBI says it. The FBI in their own history will refer back to these cases Mm -hmm. and say that this is part of their history. So we do too. Um, also, we had an episode, episode three, is that right, with uh, Jay Sandlin? I believe so. It's the Superman and the KKK, and there was some question about when Superman got some of his powers, and he got flight in 1941, from what I can remember. I uh, went back and looked it up. Well, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. And then I think you had a question about uh, Jelly Bean. Yeah, the question I had was, you know, why Jelly Bean? Why the nickname Jelly Bean? And I went back, and I did some more research, because you got me going with the question. <laughs> And the best answer that I could find that was multiple swear, again, there are different stories. There's always different stories with these nicknames, was that he was a sharp dresser. Oh, so he didn't walk around with jelly beans. I, I cannot, I can neither confirm nor deny that the man had jelly beans in his sharp dress pockets. Got you. Duly noted. I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe he had them, maybe he didn't. What? Who knows? Okay. Um, trying to see what else, if there was anything. Oh, we have, we have, we have big news. We're on Patreon. Oh yes, that is big news. Uh, please, if you if you have spare change, and we we I will take change. Uh, seriously, for as little as a dollar, you can help poor podcasters in Texas complete their dream <laughs> for only a dollar a month. Also, you know, I, I do recall that you on one of these episodes you mentioned that you would uh, you would try out the the bellows. I, I did. Uh, I will for for ten thousand. So if we make if we raise ten thousand, you will try out. The bellows. Yes, ten thousand total. It doesn't have to be a one time payment. We get right. to ten thousand. It maybe I'm not gonna say in a month. Is that fair? I, you know, I, I don't I think that you can leave it open. You should leave it open for, uh, okay. for time frames. I mean All right, all right, all right. I guess I can do that. Um Hey, you're the one who I mean it's your No, it's I your, got you. Yeah, I will yeah. you know when we get to five thousand, I'll start setting rules. How about that? <laughs> we have all to right. get to five thousand before I just even start worrying about it. I mean that sounds fair. Um but <laughs> Enough of that. Go find us on Patreon. Go find us on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play. Give us a review. Give us a like. Give us a share. Give us a dollar. Any of those things. Yeah, absolutely. We appreciate that. And there's some good stuff in there because you'll notice that some of the higher, the $10 to $20, the $50, have um, t-shirt discounts, merchandise discounts. Yes. And that's actually because we have t-shirts and stuff. Uh, I'm burning the midnight oil over here, ladies and gentlemen, to get a bunch of stuff done. Including this podcast, and part of it is making graphic designs and randomly sending them to Shalom. Yes, <laughs> and some of the T-shirt designs that we've we've already kind of gone through, um, they're they're very exciting, they're uh, hilarious, and you know I like to wear hilarious T-shirts. I I think our most of our audience does too, right? I hope so. I mean, I've never seen most of them. But, I mean, I yeah, true, true. Um, if you remember from the episode with the bellows. <laughs> Yes. Uh there 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 is a booty noodle soup t shirt in the works. <laughs> there is also a uh Wu Tang clan homage, I will say. Um <laughs> Shout out to the Wu. It is very good. I've I've actually made money off of Wu Tang videos. 
that I've recorded. So I'm good with that. They can they, they can probably sue me and I can <laughs> please don't sue me. Oh, I'm I'm sorry, Rizza. Can you name all the Wu Tang clan? Let me ask you that. Uh there's the Rizza, the Jizza, the um Inspector the, Deck. The Inspector Deck, Deck Ghostface Ghost Killer. Killer, yeah. Um and may he rest in peace, old dirty bastard. bastard. Old dirty bastard. Who um, else? Raekwon. Raekwon, yeah. And Raekwon the ruler, right? Raekwon the chef. But the sh- no, chef. Oh, man. Messed it up. <laughs> no, it's okay. There's You're forgetting the man. The man? Which man? Method man. M-A-T-H-O-D oh, man. That is correct. And that, that's that's the woo as far as I know off the top of my head. Yeah. I'm, I'm probably forgetting somebody. Well, they, they probably come and I got to protect my neck. But <laughs> Oh, that, that's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway. Nice. We're going to have a Wu-Tang theme shirt. We'll be doing some other ones. I've got a few ideas in my head, and we want to know what you guys have, too. So, anyway, that's it. We're done. That's our sales pitch. That's our update. Thanks, everyone. Uh, moving on. We are talking about a subject that, for most people, sucks. Um, does it suck for you, our subject today? Uh, no, it doesn't. You know, and, and part of the reason it doesn't is because I'm I'm well-versed in the art of no one being able to read my handwriting. It's so I'm good. So that that's your whole is that is that a real story? Is that a cover that your handwriting is just illegible because you don't want other people to read it? Or well, so I think that I think the <laughs> so I think the quick answer to that is yes. But the the um, it's sad sometimes that I, I can't even read my own writing. Um, it's very sad that from years ago I can't read things. I can't decipher what I wrote. Oh no, I, I'm I'm aware. You leave notes. And we'd sit there and be like, I don't, I don't know what, what language is this, this man speaks that he writes these words. Um, yeah. but, but cursive is hard for a lot of people. I struggled with cursive. Uh, I, you know, I didn't even, I don't even think we finished the alphabet when I was in elementary school. Really? Like learning the, the year that we, whatever, second or third grade when we were learning cursive. Uh-huh. I don't think we got all the way through the alphabet. Golly. Um, well, I mean, I'm, maybe it was just me because like I said, I'm, I'm completely horrible at it, dude. Like, you would not believe. Um, my grandparents, my parents have, like, this great script. Mm-hmm. Like, when they write checks and everything or even notes, like, I, I just, <clears throat> I love the way it looks. But you have really nice handwriting, though. I have decent enough handwriting. The problem I have with my handwriting, not to, we're going to get to the subject, but I don't want to focus on it. Yeah. Uh, was drafting. Mm-hmm. I had to learn block print for engineering. That's and nice. so when I started, you still took drafting dots and rulers and everything, mm-hmm. and it wasn't all computer. Like, I can, I can use CAD, and I can turn a lathe and CNC and stuff. But when I was first learning uh, drafting and things, prototyping, you did yeah. it all with ellipses and rulers. and Man, I, but I have to – I mean, that's one thing that I'm impressed by uh, you is – and I think you've gotten this comment often – is your handwriting is is beautiful. And, I, I mean, that sounds ridiculous to say that to another man, but your your handwriting is – I mean, ladies and gentlemen, if you if you have the opportunity to see Desmond's handwriting, you'll understand exactly what I'm saying. I mean, you could, you could, there's a clear difference in between, uh, or rather, between my handwriting, which is very uh, very doctoral, and his handwriting, which is very regal. I would say. I don't think it's regal because it doesn't have a. I don't have a flow. I'm very block print, man. Mm-hmm. This in cursive, you you will never see me writing cursive. Um, I'm writing in what people call semi cursive, but it's actually cursive. Because before we get into the subject, like overly cursive is just any system of writing that is fast. There's certain scripts we use that we're all trained in. Mm-hmm. Whatever, you know, the teacher had above the door, shows you half line, what size you're supposed to make it, how far up. 
right. your ruler, you know, your rule lines, you go, um, I don't exactly follow that. I mix mine. So mine's a mix of cursive and print and just goes everywhere. So I don't use it very often. Hmm. Um, but there's actually a study of historical handwriting. Oh, yeah? Paleography. I didn't know this existed. I mean, I think I knew that people did it. I just didn't know it was a, a big... Paleography? Paleography. That's okay. it. Yeah, sorry. No, that's okay. I don't know. I Again, I didn't know this existed before. Nice. I typed in history of cursive and started <laughs> reading. And then, uh, you know, it's crazy because this isn't like most of our subjects where you can go out and find a definitive source or a short synopsis. Uh-huh. I mean, you can go to like Wikipedia or uh, YouTube or whatever, but you get like a few lines, right? a quick overview, and maybe like two to five minutes of video. That's it. And they're not, all of them seem to contradict each other. Mm-hmm. So this was one of the more exciting ones for me, uh, because I know you, you found some sources too. I did. Which is, we go in and we look, usually you find one or two sources, you go and double check and you find like five, six more, mm-hmm. and it confirms what you read the first time. And then you confirm and confirm and confirm, and pretty soon you're just following one primary source, the source that has the most information that's the closest to correct, and just correcting little things. This one was a piecemeal, man. It like was. you, you were, you had to follow a, like a crumb trail that just broke in places. Yeah, and I think that that's that's accurate. I mean, so as accurate. always, not being historians, and especially not being a paleo, was it paleographist? I don't pa- paleographist. Paleographist? I, I have no idea. Uh, paleogeographist. No, wait a minute. That's <laughs> wrong. That's completely wrong. No. Um, <laughs> shit. The fact is, we don't know anything about handwriting, especially right. the ha- the history of like ancient handwriting and cursive in particular. So, this is going to be one of those podcasts where I'm pretty sure we're going to hit the high points, but some of the low points, if we leave something out, it's not just time this time. It's not just content flow. It's legitimately, yeah. it was above our level. It was out of our pay grade. Um, so what did, what was the first thing you found about cursive? Well, one of the first things I found about cursive was it's evolved. I mean, it, there's, there's been an evolution of cursive. It started off as the uh, Carolingian minuscule, was, and it was from an English monk who, who actually kind of started that process. So... I mean, that, that was kind of one of the things that was, that stood out to me in the very beginning of my research was that English monks or an, an English monk started this process. And the reason for the process was so that way we could have a, or he could have the, he could start a system to where communication was, uh, a written communication was regular or regulated, so to speak. So that that's about what four six hundred some odd years ago. I'm not I'm not positive on that. Uh, I'm just going off the name when you said the Carolingian. Right. That's correct. Um, so the thing is, it, it comes from Latin. Cursive means to run or to move quickly. Mm-hmm. And the thing about that is that even the Latins, the Greeks, uh, Egyptians to a certain extent had a form of cursive in that they had the shorthand that was based on the traditional forms that you move faster to do it. Part of that. Um, what I could find said that it was the moving from writing on like things like clay and stone when we had to into moving to things that had like ink mm. and uh, you know anything that you could move quickly that you were doing it like papyrus paper, calfskins, rolls, yeah. these sort of things that you could write on faster. Uh, ink is a precious commodity. Time is a precious commodity. Indeed, yeah. And the skill isn't something that everyone has. 
So you would have a scribe or a secretary or somebody that could do this hand. Right. So they had to be good at it and they had to go fast. So it developed. Now, of course, just like with languages and just like with writing nowadays with everyone, everyone has different handwriting. Right. But I think this was the, the beginning of where we tried to standardize that. Right. And that's what I was going to get to. This is the first time in English, I think, that people went and said, hey, we got to be able to read what the hell we're telling each other. <laughs> I mean, you think sure. about it, but it, it, it's a very sincere because, I mean, you think about it. You you have a quill. Right. And you have ink. And so you have or a reed or a style. You have a stylus of some sort, a natural stylus. Yeah. And you're dipping into an ink well, an ink source, and writing down. So you have to write fast but legibly. And you can't waste any of this because this is all still precious stuff. Right. So you can't make too many mistakes. And you have to be legible to the people that are going to get it. Because chances are if you're writing it down to send it out, it's going to be something important. No, but yeah. Because like a Bible or, right. or a decree or anything like that or a bill of sale. Something, mm-hmm. a deed. Something that somebody's going to need. Because there are no printing presses for your everyday needs. You can't just right. go on Google and go to LegalZoom and get a... Bill of sale, right? And be like two cows for a goat. You know, no, I mean, no, you can't. You can't right. No, no, you had to go find a dude that right. could write. They could write in the correct language, and you can certify it's kind of a notary system here. Yeah. We're not going to get into that, but anyway, you're right because you can't just sit down. There's no scribbling on the buttons. Like no one's in the back of the bastards. Like dip, 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 shut them down. Dip, dip, dip. Right. <laughs> Open up shop. <laughs> oh <laughs> no. That's like you can't, brothers roll, right? yeah, you can't, you can't just sit, <laughs> think about it. No one, you couldn't waste these things. So having this script, it's, it's important that we know that at the time, cursive would have been super important because right. it was also a sign to people that were going to look for these people. This guy knows his shit, right? So, so you're saying it's also a status symbol? Like, uh, yeah, well, it's a, it's more like a six sigma. Okay, yeah, got you. You know, it's a skill six within skill. the trade. Like right. you are, you know what you're doing. It's like this guy has this script. This guy knows this hand. Right. If he can do that, he's been writing because it's not something that people can just pick up. And predominantly what would happen was the court hand was one of the things and also the church hand. We'll get into that a little bit. But those were the two predominant fighting forces, especially once there's a separation between the Catholic Church Mm -hmm. and some of the European uh, empires. When they start fighting with each other, also the Eastern and their languages kind of change to where they're like, hey, uh, this is this is how I write mine. And supporters are like. I will write mine in that hand. I will not use the goddamn Pope's hand right. to write my deeds of sale. So, so interesting enough, I thought like th- this was that unification process, that time where there was there was the we we're no longer going to have multiple uh, different styles that are the standard. So, but the question I had, and this has kind of led to a little bit more of my research, was up until this point, could one person, would one person, or rather, was it common for one person, say this English monk at the time, to know? Three or four different written dialects, or not dialects, but written styles. Sure, they they would compete. Actually, well, at least in monasteries and stuff. If you've ever seen illuminated manuscripts, uh-huh. the ones that have like the big stylized eyes, like the beginning of the sentence, and they have the rims on the chip. You know, like the rim is illustrated. The letter might be scribbled to look like uh, stained glass. Okay. It's decorated, so they would compete in those ways. Um, in the in the Eastern world, like. With Islam, mm-hmm. a lot of them, the scripts are very beautiful. You'll notice like Arabic's a very nice looking language, like right. aesthetically. They they would do they would compete that way. And there's actually a, a point of contention. It's a point of contention all over where it is because people are like, whoa, whoa, you're getting too fancy. We're not trying to you're being too prideful. This is about a higher power. You need to knock that off. Right. 
So there was some of that. The same thing with the king. The king, of course, wants his to look regal. He wants to be in charge. This is the way of doing it. If you have a nice, clean script that people can read, mm-hmm. as reading becomes more prevalent, you know, with printing presses and stuff, when because at a certain point, reading was not something that everyone needed. You didn't need to read because what were you going to read? Well, or why were you going to read? Because yeah, well, you, were, you were, I mean, if you're a farmer, or why would you need to read? Right. You you were trained as, as a, a farmer. farmer. Right. right. You had those skills. It's like mm-hmm. a blacksmith. The blacksmith nowadays might read some stuff, might do, but transmission of knowledge through apprenticeships, right, through family trade, through oral history is going to be more important at this time than written documents because they just don't have the ability. They would be expensive and they're prone to damage. I mean, the thing is, if I write down my entire thing in a book, it has to be handwritten. Right. And I have to handwrite that one book. And then I have to take it to somewhere like a monastery or a center of knowledge or library where somebody can then create more copies mm-hmm. and they can be sent out. Or it can be straight pressed without movable type. But all very expensive, very laborious, takes time away from what I'm doing. So it isn't easier for me to take eight apprentices and teach them at once and then go out and then go out and then go out. Yeah. Okay. So, so the, it's for yeah. the everyday. I'm not saying that nobody could read or there weren't certain skills or trades that need to read or that people in general couldn't read. It was just the level of reading and the le- level of available material. It's not what it is today where like yes, you, you're, you're, you can pull up a library of books on your phone. Right. They, that's unthinkable. So that, that, that makes a, that, I mean, that, that's a good point. I, um, um, <clears throat> I mean, I, I guess that's one thing I didn't consider. Um, yeah. And I, apprenticeships I, and, and I'm uh, trying to, I mean, I'm trying to put a little bit of this on here because again, I'm not an expert. I'm not a historian, yeah. but there were things when I was reading that just, I think they make sense when you understand the systems of the day. Right. So that's why people would go like, if you knew the church, like, you had to learn Latin if you learned in the church, if you knew what they were doing. Right. Because that was the language that they worked in. It just carries out to other, not just the church, blacksmiths, farmers, right. shepherds. They all have to have their own way of communicating, and it's not always going to be written word. I mean, because we even you even see it like in the um, Civil War times when they do the thing about certain soldiers can't read, so they would have other people read for them. And that was mostly with slaves, especially, you know, reading was a big no-no. Right. Why no, not not for everyone, but it was, in general, you you could find a bunch of stories about people having to lie about being able to read or write mm-hmm. because they thought that, that was a way of keeping people down. I don't know if that translates back through time. Yeah. Because like when you have serfs, well, yeah, clearly, I mean, it, it seems like th- there was no reason, but I think it was more more uh, more or less then when you're talking about serfs and vassals and whatnot. It, there was no reason for them to know how to read. Why did they? Because that wouldn't impact their craft. That wouldn't impact their their everyday life. Right. But one thing that you touched on earlier, I think, is really important to to, and I think it it warrants uh, mentioning again is that you know when when we would write a book, let's say we were writing a book together, uh, or one of us was writing a book, the book is completed. We would take it then to maybe a monastery or uh, well, yeah, a monastery, something like that, or a church, so that way the priest could could then make copies of this book, right. make copies of this work and then distribute the work on. So, I mean, that's, I can, I mean, just thinking about the time consuming process it is to write a book as it is, or even write a sentence, uh, write a, write a letter to somebody in cursive now. And then now this book is written in cursive and now someone else has to translate what I just wrote. Uh, I mean, wow. It's, it reminds me of, um, 
uh, overhead projectors. Yeah. And, and, and when you're taking notes in college and whatnot. Yeah. You know, sometimes when the professor will get a little crazy, you know. Or, oh, yeah. Or, and they start writing or writing on the sides and right. stuff. And you can't, you're trying to keep up. You're like, man, come on. Uh, exactly. How am I supposed to write that exactly. down? Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, this, I, I feel like this is probably part of the reason why this English monk decided that we needed a standard. Well, it is because they had what was known as court hand. That was, that was one of the first standards. Like I was saying, yeah, they would have the court. The royal court is not what I'm talking about. It's court, like legal court. Right. So they would have this court hand because they wanted these decisions documented because these do impact other people. This is something that you do carry out into everyday life. Everyone needs to know, so you need to be able to disseminate this, maybe not to the everyman, but to at least the magistrates mm-hmm. throughout. So they would came up with this. And this is, again, focusing in like England and the surrounding area because we're English speakers. Right. So it's kind of hard for me to look at something and I can look at like um, Greek or Roman and kind of see where it came from with the idea of like the flowing script. Mm. Thing. I don't even know how to read some of these other languages to tell if they're flowing together. That's how they naturally look. Yeah. So I'm, I don't feel comfortable commenting unless somebody who does know has told me and I, I have reason to believe it. So um, I think that's fair. But they have this court hand. This was like uh, 400 500 years ago, about the time you're talking about. And this is probably why when you're saying the Carolingians, right. um, it just became a big old pissing contest, dude. Like I was saying. Really? They just start. they would get more and more complicated. And what do you think happened when when they started? It became like tagging on the subway, man. Like they, they ride on it and this one would be like, look at my H. And the dude's like, yeah. no, 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 no. This is an H. Eventually, people couldn't read it. Right. Because it just became too flurry and like. Side note: Is this is this kind of? I mean, is that kind of how Kurt, how um, how graffiti works today? Because I got to be honest with you, I can't <laughs> I can't read half the tags that are out there that I've seen in public today. Uh, it's been many many a year since I've done that. Your brother does some, I know. Uh, now we we both are more traditional in the fact that we will use canvas and paper. Correct. Uh, I won't say that there's never been a wall, but there hasn't been a wall in many a year. There hasn't been a boxcar in many a year. Right, right. Uh, I think for both of us. Uh, agree. Usually it's not. Uh, I can speak to this, and this is not, I'm, I don't know if there's a correlation or not, but everyone has their own style. Yeah. And part of the way that people know is you, is how you do what your art looks like, mm-hmm. especially your tag. Like when you drop the name, some because some people will still a tag, if, even if it's not a name, if it's a symbol. Whatever you leave a little prince thing behind, they'll still put on their art. So people are like, oh, that guy's gone to crap. Make you look bad, make you look good, trying to make themselves look good, yeah. whatever it is. Um, yeah, no, when it comes to it, it just depends really on who's doing the art. But that's what I'm saying is it's who is doing it. You can tell by looking at it. Gotcha. So being able to read it isn't always what it's about as much as the way it looks. If it looks fly, it, it goes. That's so, so I hope that that changed in cursive because I mean, well, obviously, not, I mean that that's like, really, but, but that's but th- think about it, that's yeah. exactly how it was. Yeah, right. Like seventeen hundred different ways to write the letter H. I mean, good night. That's insane. Uh, you just sit there and well, I mean, but people sit there and study. I mean, there's people that make a whole study out of just doing lettering. Mm-hmm. Well, we consider fonts now, right? But like with Krylon. You know, they people study it and they're like, this is how I can make this whole thing in one movement. And it's kind of a cursive. But if you looked at it, you wouldn't be able to read it. I tell you right now. I mean, there's something that I'll look at. So I have books downstairs of uh, just graffiti from around the world and stuff. And I take photographs of it now Yeah. when I see it and I like to look at it and study it. And it is what it is. Um, 
I dig it. But there's some, yeah, there's some, especially from other parts of the world where I look at them like, I have no idea. Hmm. I can't even make out the letters and symbols and nothing. But it looks good. So, <laughs> I mean, I have this a photo nice. of it. I'll buy a book of it because it, it, it is what it is, man. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that. Um, but yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, now, did you learn about the Italian hand? Can I ask you that? I learned a little bit about Italian hand, but that was more, that was the, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this. Uh, that was the one that was more for like the nobles. Like yeah. the nobles wanted to do that. The 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 royalty and the nobles wanted to set themselves aside from the the clergy and the uh, well the church. Yeah, the like, church and the courts and everything. They were like, "Yo, this is this is when we." I don't know if it was internal communications that they were like, "This is our you know golden iPhone where we get to communicate on this level." Right. So that's interesting though. But I, here's a question. No, because the all they all and I don't know if you know the answer to this. The the uh, the royals and the and also the court communicated together, and they also communicated with the church. So the question then is, did they have a standard that they used between all of them? They, de- they, they that's why it develops. I mean, mm-hmm. you're going through the develops because originally you had like court hand, and before that you had individual hands and yeah. stuff. Court hand is like the biggest one that I can find information on. There may be other big ones before it or different ones because timelines get messed up in my head here. But the court hand is really when they were like, all right, we got to have this. And then it became pissing contest. And then you have this like Italian hand thing that comes in, which is just nobles writing. And it was called like minuscule or right. humanist. And it was humanist because it was secular as in not church. Right. So they were, like I said, they were making the statement, this is not. Of the church. Yeah, we're not falling in line with you. And this mm-hmm. is, I don't know, a sign of defiance. It's kind of a weird thing of like independence. Maybe not in defiance isn't the right word. Independence, where they're like, yo, I use my own letters. I don't have to use your letters. Right. And and you're right. So you, if you were a scribe in the day for a, a secretary or whatever, a record keeper for a bishop who probably played a role in government and in the church, you might have to know. Both styles. You might have to know more style, like you were saying earlier, three or four styles, yeah. and be able to read and write in them correctly. Yeah. So that as not to offend. Makes sense. It's kind of like the comic sans of the day. Like you, you didn't want to send the Pope a message <laughs> in the humanist sense. in the humanist hand. Yeah. It was like the hand of the French king, unless you were trying to insert the French king's. Dominance or you know independence or like that I'm being serious like maybe there's a subtext I'll get I'm reading all of this in yeah but to me it seems like from what I learned this would be a very real thing like it's if I was logic. asking the Pope please help me please I'm using the church hand right. I'm signing it God bless you your loyal servant right, <laughs> right now please send some Swiss guard defender of the faith <laughs> yeah right um yeah. but at the same time if I'm like you know what? I'm going to kick the church out of my country. Oh, no. I'm probably not even writing in Latin. I'm probably writing in big French letters. And, right. You know, just you will get the hell out of my country. So what you're saying is it depends on the message. It depends on the message, but uh, you would have to know them because you might be called upon to send both those messages. Right. Uh, that's a good point. So I don't know. I mean, scribe, the, the whole history of a scribe is interesting to me because, like you were saying, they had this chancellery hand, which is the what they would use in the church. Mm. And it's very uh, close to like italics. Italics come from this, so that okay. that's a very interesting kind of thing that happened. But then you were saying that they have the the Carolingian. Um, that's really cool because there's the 
there's a development there that kind of is the old English. You know, you probably know from every single Death Row album ever. This is the, you know what I'm talking about? This is the old English handwriting. Yeah. You can find it on uh, old English 40s. <laughs> that's that's why it has the name, oh, I guess. Man, it's a, it's a, never knew that, did you? It, it's no. an homage to a writing system. Is that right? Shout out to old English. <laughs> yeah. It's been many a year for that, too. I, right. No, you know what? Sidetrack story here, guys. It's just interesting. You remember when we went to the bar R&R on my birthday? And I was going, we, we went to Leftwoods, which is another club here in town. Yeah. It's a music club, not like a club club. So in there, we listened to live band. We left, walked like three three buildings over to our, I'm going in. This guy, is, I'm waiting for y'all. This dude is coming in and he's like, it's my birthday. And he goes, and opens this old English and he tries to walk through the door. Yeah. And the bouncer stops and says, whoa, whoa, no outside alcohol. He's like, well, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so he turns to me and he's like, it's my birthday. I'm like, it's my birthday too. And he's like. Here you go. And so he hands me a big old 40 of old English. I'm just sitting there. I'm like, I'm not drinking this. Right. It's my birthday. I'm 30 years old. This is ridiculous. I'm outside cold waiting for my friends. No one's where they're supposed to be. I can't even get anyone. I'm drinking this. This is, what, this is exactly why you have this. I'm yeah. 30 I'm thirty years old in the cold outside of a club waiting on my friends who won't even text me. If there was ever a situation that was made for Old English. I mean, I feel like that was it. So I, yeah. I drank that Old English before. When, that was the last Old English that I, I've had. Um, but yeah, apparently it was a homage uh, to the uh, writing script, whether oh, they knew oh, it or not. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't work for Old English. <laughs> I feel like after the story, you might have a job. I know. Well, if they want to sponsor us, I'll crack one open at the beginning of every podcast. I will directly throw it away, but I will crack it open and say it tastes delicious. I think you just single-handedly got yourself a job and then lost the job in the, in one sentence. That was great. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. Uh, but that, 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 was, that was Old English, also known as Black Letter. Okay. Uh, I guess because there's so much ink used in it. I guess. It's very, they are very... Like robust with the, very very robust with the ink, yeah. yeah. Which I I can I can legitimately say is interesting. Now that's kind of where I uh, stopped with it gets into gothic and stuff. So yeah, you really looked into the Carolingian. You really looked into the Carolingian uh, stuff, and I, this is interesting. So I want you to go ahead and do your thing. I've been talking oh, like nonstop. It's <laughs> ah, how the show goes. We have to talk. It's a, it's an audio program. It's an audio program, right? Yeah, no. And so the Carolin the Carolingian method was kind of. Uh, interesting to when I did the studying on it or from my, my research, the, the major piece that I was impressed by was the, uh, English monk and how this was the standard that everybody went with, uh, at the time. They decided, he decided that everything needed to be standardized to eliminate some of this whole, uh, the need for multiple different styles. So, which I, I guess kind of eliminated the competition between the, the regal faction and then the faction that was of the church. You know, and then of the courts, because then you have one standard. You have scribes that are, are I mean, they're still well versed in the arts of, of what they were in prior. But now there is the the gold standard for moving forward. And and I think that was the most important piece piece of the uh, Carolingian minuscule uh, method. But it didn't stay long. I mean, it didn't it didn't stay long. But it accomplished the goal of tying everything to showing people it did. The, the, the need for one hand. Like it proved. Mm-hmm. It was a test case. It proved what it needed to prove. And they were like, this might not be the version we need, but we need this thing. Right. Exactly. That, that's cool. Because like my, 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 my interest when I was researching 
was based on these hands. I really like the idea of, like I was saying, the black letter, old English, the minuscule, the chancellery hand. So I didn't focus so much on who was doing it, but the evolution of the hand and the writing and seeing it, in my eyes, from what I know as modern American English cursive, yeah. back through, I could trace it and be like, oh, that that goes to that, that goes to that, that goes to that. that. And it's, it's not super obvious, but with enough clues along the way and reading enough articles of people pointing out, mm-hmm. You can see it develop, and it's really, it's really interesting. Like round hand, right? This is uh, round hand is is kind of what we get. At, like you're talking about, after everything settles down in Europe, for the most part, when we get to the age of discovery, mm-hmm. um, we had, we know what the French are going to look like, the Spanish, the English, right. the church. These are kind of settled now. The Normans, the Vikings, all this is done. We're settled out. Everything is flushed out. The languages are kind of you know, developing in their own little regions and they're not all over intermixing so much anymore. We get round hand for the English, which is kind of what they use in early America here. I mean, so it's true. really cool because uh, you think about it, somebody had to write the Declaration of Independence. Right. That's a very important document. It is. So someone had to pick a hand to that. Now, think about that. If we had the church hand, the king hand, and use it, and you're trying not to make this a Christian nation, or you're trying to make it a Christian nation, mm-hmm. or maybe you're trying to subtly hint at the king that you still have sympathies or stuff. Now, right. these are educated men, so they all know the hand, but somebody that didn't, if it had been a few hundred years earlier when this kind of, what, what if the scribe had snuck it in and been like, I'm writing in the king's hand to let him know that we are sympathetic, that it, all yeah. of his. All of his deal is not lost. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that could happen. But in my head, from uh, what I, feel I know, like it could though. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Like that'd be like some traitorous ass. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> could you imagine writing a letter? And you're like, dear King George, you suck. I hope you die. You know, like <laughs> we are taking our freedom and leaving, and you're sitting there writing it uh-huh. in the king's hands. So the uh, king's like, either that's a big f you, right, or it's not really somebody yeah. from the inside is telling me. That I have loyalist supporters. Right. I'm about to go pillage and put down this rebellion. I don't. I don't know. Good point. I mean, that's a really good point. So, do you think that at some point in time? Well, I mean, I guess we touched on it slightly when we when we were talking about the the multiple methods that were in 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 uh, use back then. But do you think that that was really like maybe some sort of covert uh, methodology back then? I think it could be taken that. I mean, like think about today. Like I don't know about you, but like when. I compose the emails. I'm very careful about word selection. Yeah. Like, we will or we want to know instead of we need to know. Right. Um, and, again, no one sends emails in Comic Sans to the president, I hope. I would hope not. You know, like, you shouldn't send your boss emails in, like, big block outlines or in uh, graffiti tags or... Or all caps. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, there's these things you don't do because it, it sends the wrong message about you. Right. Okay, that makes sense. So I assume that that goes back. I mean, it goes same thing with handwriting. People judge each other by their handwriting. Right. So at the same time, it's kind of interesting to think that yo, they they probably did, and you probably could. Like that would be a good sign. And think, I'm just to me, it would make sense as a spy or a code to do this. Yeah. To be like, I'm going to go to X Y Z place. I'm going to send you a message. Maybe it'll be an innocuous message. Like mm-hmm. I have bought thirty cattle, and they are good. And you have 30 cal that checks out. So they're like, not a spy. Go yeah. away. But, but, I, a message. but I wrote it mm-hmm. in chancellor hands, which means soldiers are in this town. Whereas if I wrote it in the other hand, yeah. it meant they're not. Damn good point. I mean, if, uh, I'm, I'm just thinking like if you're communicating, because let's say it's from church to church or from kingdom to kingdom mm-hmm. or from village to village or whatever. And this is how you set it up. Yeah. 
beforehand, you just set up a code word beforehand. You say, if I write in this hand X, if I write in this hand Y. Yeah. And then you go there and you write a very innocuous message. But see, and I think that the methods were so different that we could do that. You know, like today, uh, today we could write, we could write in cursive and the message may not be, I don't, I don't know the message would ever, where there would be a way for us to come across that kind of, uh, or to implement that kind of uh, a process. You know, you said that, and I'll tell you right now, I don't have any offhand knowledge of, but I can think of some cases I've seen, uh-huh. which would be in prison, prison communications. Yeah. Uh, they're very ingenious. Like, the ingenuity it takes and that they, they show in some of these things is amazing. Like, mm. the, if they capitalize the wrong word or if they use a cursive <clears throat> yeah. in, a, in a string of block text you put those letters together oh, or you trans something different. or they, they they transcribe you know that you transpose them and there's a message in there like it's very interesting how they communicate and how they use language still to this day to do so i think it's very likely that this was done in the past it's a good point i can't i can't say it because i didn't specifically look for cases because it was something that once we're discussing on the show i'm thinking about yeah. <laughs> so i can't i'm like damn right i wish i had looked that up but it didn't hit me i was more interested in learning like where did where did cursive come from? So going from Greeks to Romans to, you know, the English invasion to the Ottomans, which is where we start getting the hands and then getting into the chancellery hand and the yeah. court hand and then the, the black letter and then the, the Carolingian, Carol, like, Carolingian, Carolingian, and yeah. then going down. Well, there was there was another method, too, that came out um, several years after the Carolingian. So this is the this is the major successor. You just this is another big this is a milestone. This is another big milestone. Like All right. A huge yeah. milestone. Because that's what we're hitting is yeah. kind of just the high points. Right. It, the Spencerian method. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, yeah, uh, I've heard of this. I don't know. The, I not don't... the Spencerian. The Spencerian method. Um, the uh, it was a, He was a bookkeeper. Plots Rogers Spencer was who it was. Now, what time? Or, what, like around what time period was this? Uh, you know, I didn't I didn't catch that. Um, but I know that the Coca-Cola like logo was actually used okay. the same. So I think around the, the, yeah. the yeah. So that's why I was, I was wondering because yeah. I know that like for the most part by the because you know how we can you, if you've ever looked at like Chaucer's tales or whatever yeah. and you see the text, I think it's hard to read for us and not just because of the language, but the it, it really falls in funny just to bridge to where you're going here. Uh-huh. That English cursive, especially American English cursive, really settled down by about the mid 18th century. Right. By the end of the 18th century and the 19th century, you, you're going to be able to read the Gettysburg Address. Right. Absolutely. You could read the hand, even if it was individual hands, because people do have individual hands. We all achieve to an ideal, right. but everyone has an individual hand. So it's interesting because I think that's probably what is going to necessitate what you're going to say. Right. You're absolutely right. And then but the interesting thing uh, to add on top of that is there were a couple of different compete. We went back to competing styles. And, and I'll, I'll get into that here briefly, but I, I did want to touch on the, the Spencerian method uh, and talk about how the Coca-Cola logo is one of the primary things that's written in using this method. Uh, now, it, did, did you know if it had the big, like, the under things? It, it, it did have, like, an under. Yes, it did. It, it, had a, it had a lot of that. And one thing it also did was it was predominantly used in schools and businesses at the time. So it was the standard. But then we move away from the standards, and this is probably about like in the late 1800s. Uh, there was a style called the Zanner Blosser method, and it was a method created by Charles Zanner and Elmer Blosser. 
Wow. So it was widely, yeah, I know. (laughs) And it was widely used until 1970 when it was replaced by, uh, by another method, uh, the Danilian method. So these two methods actually competed against each other. The Danilian style. Now these are the ones you find in like school books, right? Like the, like, I'm saying you have, everyone knows the big long banner thing that you have around the school, top of the classroom. Where you look up and you see what the handwriting is supposed to look like. So the this, is those. this is those. And okay. So the difference between the two styles is the Danilian style, which is the one that came a little later, uh, around 1970. Um, that one is the slanted, the slanted version, like the italics version. That's, that one was more of the, the style, we, the style as we see more of today. Uh, now both methods were taught in school, but the one you see a lot more of in school now is the Danilian method. Um, when it's taught in schools now, the Xanner, the Xanner Blossom method is straight up and down. Um, there's no real, uh, there's no real what italics to that, uh, to that style at all. And now, do you know if there, what, there's a real reason for the change? For the change in methods? No. I mean, for the tilt, for even the, I think the it's to, I think it's to differentiate. Is it? I mean, cause I'm just wondering, like, why, why would convince people to switch from uh, up and down to yeah. italics? You know, I think it was just a, a differentiation. And then also, I, and I didn't find anything to support this, but the speed. That's what I was yeah. thinking was that it, it has to be something about the eff- efficacy of the mm-hmm. handwriting. And to me, when I write, I'm being right-handed, I naturally start to develop a tilt. Right. You're saying you lean to the left? I lean to the right. You lean to the right? <laughs> so I, I was thinking that that was, uh, that was why. Yeah, it's it more natural. It, it is more natural, and you you kind of have to fight your hand. And this is probably what's wrong with my handwriting. Uh, is you you have to fight. Have your, you ever checked to see if you're really left-handed? You know, I did. <laughs> I, I have checked. Uh, <laughs> All right. In I'm fact, just, <laughs> just an interesting story. Uh, I, I, and I may I'm going to say this, but I don't think you'll find a lot of left-handed Nigerians. I just don't think you will. <laughs> they beat it out of you. I, I'm not going to say beat on the air, but I, I'll say that you were you were strongly encouraged. <laughs> Did they tie to, your arm behind your back to use your right hand? Uh, no, it was more of a it was more of a focus on you know your right hand is your dominant hand, and and I think that was there was a lot of cultural differences there uh, as to why that was a a preferred method of um, booty wipe is what you're saying. I mean, hey, no, it's all right. I mean, it, it, the, for those right. of us that have toilet paper, it doesn't make sense, but you probably don't want to eat the hand you wipe with either. Even with paper, uh-huh. I think that's a solid. Uh, I feel like wash your hands. But well, yeah. you wash your hands and stuff, of course. But I'm just saying. No, I get it. My dad's left-handed, actually, and um, one of the thing. Uh, his grandmother would tie his hand behind his back. Yeah. Or make him stick in his his belt loops. Okay. So that he, he tried to, it didn't work. He didn't work. He's left-handed. Well, it worked for me. So if I was supposed <laughs> to be left-handed, too uh, late. Too late. <laughs> and I've tried since then to write with my left hand, and no, it's terrible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's really bad. I can sort of write with my left hand. I wouldn't call it like nice. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to lose my right hand because <laughs> man, I no I, no don't go thieving then. Yeah, I know, right? The struggle would be all too real. <laughs> um, so anyway, back to the back to the show. The um, the okay. So it made the it, so it made the uh, another thing that I did find, and I, I apologize for not saying this earlier, but yes. I did find this in my research on the reasons why they changed from the the uh, the Zanner Blosser method uh, to the Danilian style. And the reason why that I found was that it made transitioning to printing cursive more smooth. So when you're Mm. you're printing cursive, it was more smooth, kind of like what we were saying. But uh, the emphasis wasn't just on speed. It was more of a 
you, you the transition is, is smoother. So you can learn it easier too, which makes sense for kids right. if it's in school that you want to learn it because once you once you get out of school, you really write however you're going to write. Right. And, um, and fast, hopefully. Yeah. Right. No, I mean that's the most important thing. It's one thing to write legibly. It's another thing to write legibly and fast. Agree. College will break you that though. Yeah. Well. <laughs> well, it did. It did. I'm sure now you know you get all the right. computers, but that that's an interesting point because uh, I never really thought about this until I was researching. But um, the Industrial Revolution, uh-huh. people didn't have printing presses everywhere. Like the copier, the fax machine, they all came about, but they were pretty late in the game. And the older right. versions weren't super reliable, great things that you would need for everyday business needs to write memos, to write. So people had to learn a company hand. Yeah. So if you had a like a job on a floor, there would be a floor of like clerks who had all learned the same script mm-hmm. and could all write the same way. And would write these notes and they would send them to their box. The boss would sign them, send them out. Thank you notes, the, the everything you get in the mail, yeah. all this stuff, flyers, all these things. They would have to write these things. Even with the printing press and stuff, even in the early 20th century, there were still floors of clerks right. that would learn company hand and have to write things that they wanted to be handwritten, especially in higher end industries or internal communication or stuff. Because you couldn't just go, oh, I'm just going to send a quick email. Yeah. Your email was a courier. Right. And you didn't print. You couldn't go to the printing press and set all your type and then just print that out and then hand it to the courier and him take. You would have to write it down and then send it. Same thing with like telegraph machines and stuff. You would get a telegraph and then just print out. I mean, you might get a ticker tape at some point. But before that, you would have the guy sitting there with the Morse code beeping at him and he would write it down. Right. So also had to have the hand. The hand. Mm -hmm. So it's very interesting to see that it's important. Yeah. Now – Nowadays, and we don't usually do this, but this is kind of uh, modern history, recent history, I guess is what we'll call it, contemporary history. Yes, a lot of a lot of schools mm-hmm. aren't teaching cursive as much. They're focusing they on, uh, and this is something I had no intention of talking about, but it came up so much in the research. So many of the articles talking uh, um, about cursive and the history of cursive were really brief to get to the point of does cursive need to exist nowadays? Why? Because Typing is a much more valuable tool. It's more it important to be able to type quickly and correctly than it is to be able to write legible cursive. I agree. I, I mean, and that leads me to another question that I have. You know, is I, I remember somewhere a statistic about how doctors' handwriting has been responsible when they're writing prescriptions. It's been responsible for many, uh, many patient deaths. Because of the overdosage of what the uh, of medication, and so so I mean I guess maybe this would this solve that problem? No longer having cursive being taught in schools, you know, or is that maybe a uh, far reach? Well, I don't think it's something because you still have to teach because there's still going to be things they're going to have to read that are in cursive. Right. I think you have to teach maybe reading cursive. Okay, that makes sense more than you have to teach writing cursive. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether we'll move that way, maybe that's where we're going is to another singularity point where we get to. Print and, print and block print. Yeah. Uh, when I say print, I mean like computer-generated machine letters, mm-hmm. fonts, and then hands that are block print. We'll probably get there. Now, um, when we'll get there, I don't know because people are hesitant to change. Sure. And I'm not sure that it's a good change. I don't know. I don't, I don't follow, you know, educational yeah. academic research mm-hmm. on handwriting. Yeah. And whether it teaches any other skills or is important part of development learning, I, d- I don't know. 
I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe deciphering, uh, maybe maybe teaching how to read it is uh, is a way to understand the past. Because I guess then if you forget or if you don't teach it, then the last person doesn't retain that information or they're gone. And yeah, no, that's exactly that. what yeah. I'm saying. But I, I have another question. Like you're a parent. If they came, if your kids came home and said that uh, we have a choice between signing up for computer class or cursive class. Typing class, not just not learning no. computer coding okay. and stuff. Okay. Just gotcha. Thank you for specifying. Uh, the question, I guess the answer to the question for me is, you know, one, we're going to talk about the pros and cons of both. Yeah, so. but I'm saying, what would be your gut reaction as to which one would be more beneficial towards them, to them? The computer. Yeah, I mean, I think typing yeah. is, Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest advantages I had, and I don't know about what... Well, you had because we're we're in our early thirties. We are, yeah. And when we were in middle school and elementary school, computers were not just everywhere. They weren't. Um, you had some, and they would bring sure. them in, but you didn't have laptops yet. We didn't have school laptops. No. Uh, until about uh, into junior high, high school, I'd say. I agree. Yeah, so I, think I have a question: Did you have a typing class? I did have a typing class. Um, you can't tell it now because I type. I type really slowly, but. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying is we have a generational break. Like, yeah. here's the thing. I can type. I took a typing class and learned how, you know, to touch type. I can type. With, it freaks my wife out. She's 30s. Like, I I, t- I can look at you and just keep typing. What yeah. I'm typing, what I'm thinking or what I'm talking about. I don't worry about it. Uh, but tons of people can't type. Yeah. And I think that's more of a detriment than cursive right now in practical life. Kind of like right. we were talking about farmers don't need to be able to read. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people going in the job market today don't need cursive as much as they need typing. Typing, and, and I, mean, I agree with that. I'll, I'll agree with that a hundred percent. You know, and just kind of, uh, just kind of maybe segue a bit. Um, in my career, my current career, you know, like I said, I did take typing class in in uh, high school. Actually, um, I did pass the class, but I don't type very fast. And a lot of that is because I go back and I check to make sure that I'm actually typing what I'm thinking. Sure. And I'll make the corrections right then and there instead of actually finishing everything out and then correcting it afterwards. But, you know, in the time it takes me to complete one, I guess we'll call it cases, maybe one case that has to be typed or one email that has to be sent, another person could probably send two or three. And, and but that, that's not, I mean, that may be, that may be an exaggeration of the, of the time frame, but you, you get the picture. But what I'm saying is that's, that to me is a good parallel to the whole thing about the hands. Where people have different hands and one hand is quicker than you want to learn the best way. You want to learn the best typing method. Right. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't teach cursive. I'm just saying that we should focus on – this is not going to be about educational, so I don't care. We'll, yeah. we'll skip it. Personally, also, we you know, you touched on prison stuff before. I personally think we should teach kids how to code instead of other foreign languages. I don't need my kid to learn Spanish as much as I need them to learn like Perl. They don't right. need to learn pro pearls. Not pearls, good either, but, not, but it's know, dead. Okay. But okay, I get uh, it. for the most part, for what what for the but you know, I mean, learning how to do yeah, yeah, some sort of I don't I don't I don't code anymore. So I'm like everything I'm gonna say is outdated. I was I mean Java, you know, Java. well Java, but I don't think uh, Java needs to go away too. Love it won't. Java. It won't. But love Java. Uh, I was gonna say like PHP, learn some Nuke, <laughs> some C plus plus. I don't know, kids. Well. Uh, you. You need to invest in. I think that's more important. Um, I, I agree. It is important. I don't, but I don't think it's going to go away because I actually didn't know this, but I talked to a coworker of mine who is Russian. Okay. And she confirmed for me that this is a fact. All Russians. I don't know how many Russians are, but she is positive. All Russians write in cursive. No one writes in print. Really? They do not use print. 
Huh. So, I mean, that that's weird to me as an American because in everyday life, I hardly see anyone ever writing cursive unless it's their signature. Now, signatures are an interesting case because everyone considers their signature to be cursive, I think, unless you actually print your signature, which some people do. But a lot of us do it. But do we really write in cursive or do we scribble a signature? I think we just scribble a signature. And, you know, part of the reason why is because it was never standardized. Mm-hmm. Because it's a seal of authenticity. Well, yeah, when you can't some, standardize that. Yeah, but well, that that's why you wouldn't want to. If right. everyone wrote in the same hand, I could just sign your name because I write in the same hand you do. There'd be no need for a signature. So if the king wants to sign something, the pope wants to sign something, you want to sign something, I want to sign something. Yeah. It's a bill of sale, a deed, a tax document. We sign with our signature, and that's why when you go to court, they say, "Is this your signature?" Right. Because copying it. It's hard. That's why, like, I, I have some autographed baseballs. Right. I know Nolan Ryan's signature. Yeah. It would be really difficult for somebody to pull one out and tell me it was his, and it'd be inauthentic Different and me not notice it. Right. But if if we all did the same hand, I just have a million baseballs and wouldn't know which ones were authentic. I mean, that's true. Um, that's a very valid point. Yeah. It's really, really weird. Now, I did have an interesting... One thing that I wanted to add on, because I mentioned Russian, mm-hmm. I also wanted to know, do languages that don't use, like, English characters have cursive? Is there cursive, like, Japanese or Chinese? That's a really or, good question. Yeah, so I did look into it a little bit. Um, and I I consulted some of my Chinese co-workers. Okay. Uh, I know a little bit of Japanese, so I guess saying Japanese wasn't really, really fair. But uh, there's a form of Chinese cursive. And it's been around for a very for like over two thousand years. Huh. I'm not saying the same one, but they have what was called clerical script. Okay. And they use that. Um, yeah. And it's not really based on the. It's based on the whole form. They're not really worried about the characters, mm-hmm. but it's about the form, the flow, the shape, the concept, the style. Uh, they do that. Japanese is very similar in that when you write, uh, you want it to be legible, but it's not so much getting every single piece of the character because there's actually stroke orders. When you write certain characters, when you write your kanji, yeah. uh, strokes come before other strokes. So when you look at an image, it's made of like nine strokes. They have to be put in a certain order, but they may do as one. So a three piece is one piece, but it might look like a horseshoe or an omega symbol instead of three strokes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if that's a good visual for you guys listening, but that's that's it. Uh, but it can turn something that has like 20, 20 or so strokes into something that has like five. Okay. So yeah. it's uh, it's incredibly easy. It's to do. It's incredibly hard to read. I can read, yeah. I can barely read kanji um now, when yeah. when I was doing it now I probably can't. <laughs> I can probably do like the days of the week and a few numbers. Uh you know, I'm getting better at reading kanji, but um that's just because I've got an app that I'm trying to really? practice. It, it, the interesting thing is I, I I we also I also studied Japanese right. in uh in college a little bit. And also, um, just before then, but it's kind of, it's lost. It's lost on me now. Yeah. I mean, I can carry on a decent conversation if uh, I know when I'm, the subject is mad or is like, if I'm, if you just came up to me and it was random, I, I might be like 75, 25 odd being like, nope, sorry, going the uh, other direction. You can't talk to me. Um, it's crazy because, uh, you mentioned that you know it, so I'll tell you this. Hiragana is actually based on a simplified form of kanji. I never knew that. Yeah. So oh. that they break down the strokes. It's just simplified. They took the main strokes from simplified so that it's an easy transition yeah. when you move from hiragana to 
Kanji. Kanji. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that you can put it together because it's based on it. That's it. Um, the only other interesting facts, I guess, because that we kind of did interesting facts, and we like to close the show out with a few of them. Absolutely. Um, the SAT scores. Uh, I found something on PS Mag that said that fifteen percent of SAT scores were written in cursive. They had the higher scores. Really? Yeah. Um, other than that, there's um, okay. Also, a cool side note: we all know that Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence. Most of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and thus his cursive is awesome. However, it was actually Timothy Matlack, the clerk up to the Secretary of the Second Continental Congress, whose handwriting we actually see. Jefferson wrote the words, but the hand was Matlack's. Didn't, didn't know that. So, so whenever you've looked at it, you've been like, man, Thomas Jefferson could write. I mean, yeah, I was like, he's a great hand, a good script. <laughs> you know what? Truth is, you probably haven't seen Thomas Jefferson's writing. True, true story. You watched uh, what was his name? Matlock. Matlock. Yeah, Matlock. <laughs> Matt he came in. He came in the Continental Congress wearing a white suit and sat down and was like, "I'm writing this. I've got this." Uh, but that's interesting, though. Now that you mention it, you know they don't they don't sit down and write that. But then again, it's interesting to see that every video that I've seen or that oh yeah, it's him. It, it's Jefferson <laughs> sitting down there writing. So I, you know that's interesting. There's a lot. He of was stuff writing that, the lunch ticket when yeah. they did the. <laughs> Two ham sandwiches of beef corn, two <laughs> birds of fowl on rye. <laughs> like, oh man, TJ, what are you doing? I mean, you know, like ordering lunch apparently. Yeah, right. Speaking of which, what are you getting me for lunch? I don't know yet. Right. Um, <laughs> that that's it uh, for the history lesson part. Shalom, do you have a takeaway? Yeah. What what did learning about cursive researching cursive teach you about life? You know. So, I mean, not to get overly preachy or philosophical, but I think that the the major thing I learned from this uh, this session about cursive was that it's still necessary. Yeah. I mean, it, it is. It's something that's been with us for so long. I mean, the most interesting thing to me was that you could trace it that far back. I really thought that it wasn't going to be something that came about and told. I mean, I knew the Declaration of Independence was in it. I had seen other documents. It never occurred to me that they were in cursive because I didn't know the script. Yeah. So I didn't know if that's how they wrote. I, I also thought it's kind of neat that you've got, we had, there are multiple types of, of cursive um, that now make up the cursive we know today. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean I there's like even that. bits of Latin, of like of Roman cursive that have right. snuck through. So today we definitely have italics. That's been picked up. Mm-hmm. The black letter, like we still use some parts of it. The minuscule, right. uh, even though it was only for a little while, it's a huge part. Right. Um, and just the fact that we, we've carried bits of it, even from Ottoman Empire, uh, all the way from, you know, a thousand some odd, two thousand years ago yeah. through today. Because that's the big break, you know, because you have – it's really interesting – I agree. To see that this language didn't really get disrupted by that. I mean, it it, it takes turns and takes flows, yeah. but it's like a river. It's going to find the ocean. Right. And it, it comes up and it leads to today. So whenever we write, this is what's cool to me is now that I know the history. Whenever I write, I think back of everything that went into me having to make the goddamn tail end of a Z. <laughs> like, why do yeah. I have to do this? And I'm sitting there like, I bet it was some old German bastard monk that was like, I will add this flourish. So I'm like, damn it. <laughs> That's what it did to me. It's like there's history in your handwriting. Yeah. When we say history is all around you, the history of everyday things, I don't think it gets more historical than every time you sign your name. History. History. Yep. So that's it. I'm done. This show is over with.
Well, again, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your support. Thank you for listening to the show. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. And we hope to keep you entertained next week. Yep. Well, two weeks. Oh, next two weeks. Sorry. Next two in a fortnight. In a fortnight, indeed. <laughs> or if you are uh, Yin Yang fans, in 511. 511. 511. No, no, 50, not 511. 511. Okay. I'm not a Yin Yang. That's, that's <laughs> a very uh, Georgian thing for you to say. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to the Yin Yang twins, Kane and D Rock. <laughs>